You're listening to media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center. We are a multi-generational, Jesus-centered community of Scripture, faith, and grace located in Tallahassee, Florida, on the campus of Florida State University. To learn more and to get connected to other resources, please visit universitylutheranchurch.org. We hope that the next few moments are a time when God speaks into your life by the power of His Holy Spirit about His Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who comes to bring to us a righteousness that we can measure ourselves against, but a righteousness that we can also see on display for us in Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, How many of you are currently watching uh, the Disney Plus show, Loki? Anybody? Okay, a few of you, a few of you. Um, uh, You know, uh, just as sort of an aside, it is really difficult to to try to figure out what is okay to use as a sermon illustration anymore in this age of curated things where who knows what you're watching right now. But anyway... Uh, For those of you that are like, what's a Loki? Uh, Let me explain a little bit about the show. The the show that's currently running right now, uh, the the sort of idea behind it is that there is this guy. He's kind of a bad guy. His name is Loki. He's the brother of the Norse god Thor, who in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a good guy. And his brother, Loki, is not the god of thunder, but he's the god of mischief. And that's sort of important to remember. He's the god of mischief. And, and in this show, what happens is we find out that there is something that is called the sacred timeline. Now, I'm not giving away anything that you shouldn't know already. So be okay with this. No, no spoiler alert. There's this thing called the sacred timeline, and, and it's this timeline that everybody is supposed to be in. It, it's this timeline that, that has dictated for you how your life is going to turn out. And so as, as you consider that, you, you kind of consider, okay, what would it be like if there was a timeline that just told me what my life was going to be as it went forward? But of course, you have an issue with certain people making certain decisions that are outside of the frame of that timeline. And you get to this sort of age-old philosophical debate between determinism and free will. And because we're Americans, and because partially because we're Christians, we tend to sort of trend over to the free will side of things. We, we, tre- we trend over to this idea that it is better for us to consider ourselves as people who have a choice in how our lives turn out. Well, Loki would agree, actually, and and, uh, what you find out is that there are a lot of people that agree, and a lot of people make these decisions that then bring them out of the sacred timeline, because they're making decisions about things that don't fit this sacred timeline. Now, keep that in mind as we talk about Amos. 
Now, what's going on here in this Old Testament reading with Amos is that we have something where uh, God has, has come to Amaziah and to Jeroboam and has said to them, hey, you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Your wall is crooked, is how he's putting that. Your, your worship of me is crooked. Your lives are crooked. We find out all sorts of different ways that the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom of God's people, well, they've been doing all sorts of stuff wrong. They have been uh, hoarding for themselves. They have not been taking care of the poor. They've been doing all of this stuff. And Amos is here to tell them that God is fed up with it. He's saying, hey, listen, you are crooked. You are not right. You are beginning to come outside of God's sacred timeline. And we begin to see how much that is outside of the sacred timeline because now God is not just sort of looking at a picture on the wall in Israel's house and saying, hey, that looks kind of crooked, but God has a measurement tool. He has a plumb line. He's saying, this exactly is how much your wall is crooked and because it is so crooked, because you are so crooked in your life, I'm going to bring judgment to you. And so then there's this guy Amaziah, who's the court prophet of Jer Jeroboam. And, and Amaziah's response to this is, oh yeah, Amos, you just go on back to Judah and make some money there and eat bread there. And you go, what? What? How does that fit? Well, here's how that fits. So it would have been a, a pretty common sort of con in this time to be sort of a prophet for profit. And what you would have done is you would have gone into a nation and you would have said, God has it out for you. God has this bad news for you. God has this news that you are crooked. And then the people would say, oh, man, I am crooked because they're all sinners. We all are. And then we can all go Oh yeah, there's probably a moment in which I'm crooked here. And so because of that then, the prophet would say, and it just so happens that I've got the solution for you. Here's my solution. Just bring me in as your new court prophet and I will make sure that God doesn't come after you. God doesn't judge you in the same way. And so you get a little bit of a sense of what's going on with Amaziah and Jeroboam where they can't even hear the words of the prophet Amos because what they're so used to in their context is a world in which God's word doesn't really have any power. It's just sort of this thing that people use in order to make money. And you see a little bit of how crooked Israel's worship is at that point when they assume well you're just doing this for the money well Amos comes back at them and he basically says nah I'm just the good old country boy 
He says, you know, I'm a farmer, I'm, I'm, I'm a herdsman, I'm a dresser of figs, which w- what that means is that he, he literally goes to fig trees and scrapes the bark off of them in order to make the figs ripen quicker. And, and he goes, look, I don't need your money. I was just sent here by a God who's telling you that you're crooked. And so we, then we fast forward several hundred years to the reign of Herod and another guy who's telling another ruler that their lives are kind of crooked. In fact, here it's even more than kind of crooked. You have all of these things that show us exactly how crooked things are. And because we're maybe kind of used to this story, we don't pick up on some of this stuff. And some of this stuff isn't exactly in the text. And so you have to do a little bit of digging. But what you find out here is that Herod has a wife and her name is Herodias. I know it's confusing. And Herodias actually ends up not being um, just his wife, but was his brother's wife. And she divorced his brother, which, by the way, is not okay in Jewish law. She divorces his brother in order to marry Herod. Well, the problem is that the guy that she divorced, Philip, was her uncle. Ew, I know, very West Virginia. And sorry for anybody who's watching from West Virginia. Um, and, and so what, what you've got going on here is you've got the, this, this sort of incestuous relationship that then she divorces away from. And then, oh, by the way, Herod is Philip's brother, which means that she dumped her uncle to marry her uncle. Ew. And so that already gives you a little bit of a sense of, okay, there's something icky with this context, and then you go a little bit further, and then you've got Herodias' daughter, so uh, Herod's at least his stepdaughter, who's doing this dance, which this dance might be, well, it might be completely innocent, but probably not. And she does this dance, and it pleases everybody, and Herod says, hey, I will give you anything that you ask for, and he doubles down with a vow. Now, a vow, sort of like when God says, hey, I'm going to bring this out as a measurement tool, it's something specific, it's something precise. When Herod brings out this vow, he's saying, hey, this is a vow, this is a legal thing all of a sudden, and he says, "I, I, you can ask for anything up to half of my kingdom, which, by the way, he cannot offer her. All of that is owned by the Romans. The, the Romans would look at that and they'd be like, yeah, Herod, this is cute, but no. But regardless, she goes to her mom and she's like, you know, instead of saying, oh, that's great. Thank you, you know, great uncle, dad, whatever you are. Thank you for that. I'd like a pony. She goes to her mom instead and she says, hey, what should I ask for? And her mom says, the head of John the Baptist. Now that is a messed up family situation when you go to your mom and you ask for something and your mom asks for a hit to be put out on somebody. And not only does that happen, but she asks for the head of John the Baptist and then on top of all of that, the daughter 
goes and says to Herod, what I want is I want the head of John the Baptist and I want it on a platter. Not, not a box, not a bag, not any other way that you would have done this, but, but she's like, presentation is important. Let's do this on a platter, maybe some parsley. And what we walk away from this story with, much like the story that we read in Amos, is this sense that something is very crooked here. Some people are not listening to the word of God. They're not listening to the prophets of God. And they're not listening to the things that are so clearly this establishment of a righteous plumb line, a righteous standard in which they can look at and measure themselves against. And if we're feeling good that we're not like Amaziah or we're not like Herodias, then maybe we should stop a minute and we should consider how crooked our lives can be. How so often our lives can be outside of the context of God's righteousness. How often our lives can be outside of what it should be. How often our lives are outside of that sacred timeline. Now what happens in the Loki show is that if you're somebody who's going outside of the sacred timeline, you're running a risk of being what they call pruned. You're taken out. You no longer exist. And that's the danger for us. It would be the danger for us if Christ never came is that we would simply be people that were outside of righteousness, people that were variants, people that were outside of what we should be and what we should deserve for that at the very least is to be taken out, to be left behind by God. And yet, what actually happens is that there is this sacred timeline, the sacred timeline that Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians, a sacred timeline that says that God has predestined a glorious future for us. And yet we know that we shouldn't be in that glorious future because of our sins, because we've offended him, because we've been living in this context of sin that has gotten us so messed up that we don't even know which way is right and which way is wrong anymore a lot of the time. Jesus came in to our timeline so that he could bend us back toward the sacred. So that he could bring us to repentance. Repentance being a literal turning back, a turning into that sacred timeline again. He gives us that opportunity to be forgiven. And that forgiven begins the trajectory change of our lives back into that sacred timeline. And that's only possible if there was one 
who was absolutely righteous. One who, when God measured him against his plumb line, God said, this one is straight. This one is perfect. This one is what that timeline is all about. And then he draws us in to himself. Calling to us from his own sacred timeline from the cross. Calling to us from his sacred timeline saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Saying it is finished. Saying all of the things that he said from the cross that assure us that we can join him in an everlasting timeline that is completely righteous. And so that has a meaning for us on this side of the resurrection as well as on the other side of it. It has meaning for us in that we are promised a resurrection. We are promised a heaven in which everything will be righteous. Everything will be straight. Everything will be the way that it's supposed to be. But it also has implications for us on this side that there is a hope that we can look to. Because we recognize that people like Amaziah are hurting because they can't see righteousness. We recognize that people like Herodias are hurting because they can't see righteousness. And that's why it's good news for us to know the one who is righteous because when we know his righteousness and we know that we are called into it, we know that there is hope for us. We know that we are called into a place that will be righteous. A place that won't hurt others, that won't hurt ourselves. A place that won't offend God. That's what we're called into. It's the hope that we have. Even this side of the resurrection And so may you go out into this week recognizing that we live in a crooked and upside-down world, but also that Christ's cross calls to us out of that sacred timeline and pulls us back into him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center. To learn more and to get connected to other resources, please visit universitylutheranchurch.org. If you would like to financially support more media from University Lutheran, please visit our website and click the Give Now button, which will enable you to engage in the Christian discipline of giving tithes and offerings to God through His church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Well,